Well, good morning. God is good? And all the time? Amen. Well, it is a joy to be here this morning. I've got a few announcements for you. Uh, as many of you know, that uh, the Friday and Thursday before Resurrection Sunday, we're going to have a Seder meal up here. Um, as, as I've shared, that all the tickets are gone for those two days. We had to do that because of our spacing situation. If for some reason you purchased a ticket and you're not going to be able to go, please call the office because there's a list of people who would love to go, but we're waiting to see if somebody doesn't go. So don't just let it just stay at the house and and, uh, the ticket just go to waste. Let us know if you can't be there so that we can share with somebody else. Also, uh, April 4th is Grand Monday night uh, at 6.30 p.m. in the youth room. Remember, uh, grandparents, Grand Monday night is a time of teaching and, and helping grandparents know how to pour into their grandchildren in this very unique day. Uh, also, our Annie Armstrong offering is going on right now, now through Resurrection Sunday. Remember that all the money that comes in through Annie Armstrong goes directly, is it North American Mission Board? I get North American and International uh, mixed up, but NAM, that's North American Mission Board. Every penny goes directly to missionaries all over uh, the United States of America. And so love for you to participate in that as well. Also, we have our senior adult luncheon coming up on April 21st at uh, 11 a.m. at the Connie Hudson Senior Center. Sign up for that at the table, at the events table. Cost is $7. And then I want to share with you, and Brother Randy, if you want to come up here, uh, I want to share with you that on Resurrection Sunday, we're going to have two worship hours. We're going to have 8 o'clock and 10.30 a.m. So let me just tell you, 8 o'clock, 10.30 a.m., there'll be no uh, life groups those days, or that day. And I'd uh, love for you to come to be a part. Uh, uh, Brother Fred would call the 8 o'clock the sunrise service. Um, so you can be here at 8 or at 10.30 now, many people may ask, David, are we going to have like a flyer that goes out? Are we going to place something in our front yard that tells people about come and worship with us? We will have a sign at the front uh, as we do. But what the Lord has been putting on my heart is to encourage each of you to think of one person that you could invite. One person that you could invite to come and be your guest with you on Resurrection Sunday. As I shared with you last Sunday, the statistic is is that 70% of people who have a personal relationship who ask, 70% of them come. They'll say yes. And I want you to hear real briefly, real briefly, uh, (laughs) Brother Randy's testimony of how he ultimately came to know Christ. So years ago, I was uh, at Auburn University, and I was a student that didn't attend church for uh, many years. I was unchurched. I had roommates that knew I was unchurched because of the lifestyle that I was participating in. And one of them began attending a church uh, and was faithful there. And they had a special service where the pastor called, just like Brother David just did. He called on the congregation to pray about whom is it that the Lord would lay on your heart? Who is it that you know is not in church on Sunday. Who is it that needs the love and the joy that we have in Christ? Pray about that and ask that person to come. And so one of my former roommates called me up. We had no relationship. We were no longer friends. He called me up and he said, look, my pastor's asked us to bring a guest on this Sunday. It's a special day. And I don't know if you're willing to come, but if you are, it would bless me if you would go. And I said, sure, I'll go. And that was the beginning of the Lord drawing me to himself and all that he has done since then. That's now my father-in-law who will be speaking here on May 1st was that pastor that called us to do that who also introduced me to my dear bride. Amen. Church, I can't tell you how important just a personal invitation. You know, a mail-out's not personal. But you going to somebody and inviting them to come, praying beforehand and asking them to be a part, that's personal. So would you join with me in asking the Lord over the next two weeks of who you would ask to come and be a part with us on Resurrection Sunday as we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ died, but praise God, three days later, 
he rose victoriously from the tomb. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father, we thank you. We praise your holy name. You are a good, good father. And this morning as we come into this place, Father, I ask, Lord, that you would uh, search us and know us, Father, that you would show us anything in our life that hinders our relationship with you. So that, as it says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord, but he who has clean hands and a pure heart. That we may ascend the hill of the Lord this morning, hear what you are speaking, and walk in obedience to the calling. Oh, Father, we love you, and we want nothing more than for your name to be lifted high and to be glorified this morning. So as we lift up songs of praise, may your name be glorified. It's in your precious and holy name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Let's stand together and sing about that wonderful cross. The years of spin and vanity and bride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on song because it gives you the gospel. Everything starts at Calvary, right? The work of salvation was finished, but we are just getting started. Amen? This is Resurrection Month. We're going to focus on the cross and then we're going to praise His name. That's exactly what we're going to do here today. Lord, I just pray that we would know the full weight of the power of Calvary, Lord, of the cross, and that we would never miss an opportunity to praise Your name because You are worthy and you love us. Let's sing this together. Praise the Lord. His mercy is born. Stronger than darkness. New every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Amen. His mercy is more. What love could remember? What love could remember? No wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, He counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more stronger than darkness new every morn our sins they are many his mercy is more his mercy is more what patience what patience would wait as we constantly roam what Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger What riches of kindness He lavished on us. His blood was the payment, His life was the cost. 
salvation but that wasn't the end right he gives us so much more that we don't deserve Amen. it says in first peter 1 3 that we have an inheritance it says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who according to his great mercy there it is has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God. There's nothing greater than that. Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So much more than just you're, you're going to heaven, right? It gives us a life and a hope and a way and something to do, right? Let's praise Him this morning. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul amen the work is finished the end is written Jesus Christ my living hope amen if you believe that this morning you sing who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. Sing this out this morning. The cross has spoken, amen. I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living Lord. Sing hallelujah, hallelujah.
in the morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declare the grave has no claim on me then came the morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the continue in worship. Let's just, in one accord today, as the family of Christ, say, there is no one like our God, and there is no Savior like Jesus Christ. I worship you, Almighty God. There is none like you. I worship is what I want to do. I give you praise, for you are my righteousness. I worship you, Almighty God. There is none like you. Sing it again. I worship you, Almighty God. There is none like you. I worship you, O Prince of Peace. That is what I want to do. Father, as we approach uh, the month of months, Lord, Resurrection Month, where we get to remember the cross, remember the resurrection in a special way, we pray that we would always hold it in our hearts, Lord, but especially during this time, we would just bask in the, the wonderful plan that you had for us, Lord, and the way that you have given us for salvation, Lord. And that we would know that we can show people the way, Lord. That we would be a light, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Salt 
for the world today. Lord, we pray when everybody's going right that we would go the other way, that we would go your way, Lord. Because you did not balk at Calvary. You carried that cross for us, Lord. Knowing that we would be your children, Lord. That we would be able to be called sons and daughters of the King because of what you did. You submitted yourself to the Father and you're seated at the right hand. We thank you so much for the way that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we uh, have an orchestra duet. Uh, our orchestra is, is uh, fantastic. Mr. Steve Duke and Ms. Denise Harris will play Via De La Rosa today.
love the fact that we have an orchestra, and I pray that more people would come and be a part of the orchestra. Uh, Steve Duke, who just played the, the saxophone, uh, we go all the way back to when I was in middle school or high school and uh, on mission trip together, and so what a joy. Um, and so love for you to come and be a part of that. Today, I know some of you were, have told me, hey David, I'm really excited about the book of Daniel today. Well, in the bulletin you would have seen that uh, we're going to take a step away for a few days, for a few weeks out of Daniel uh, today, we're going to begin what I call uh, uh, the, uh, the descent down to the tomb, okay? So in two weeks from now, we're going to be talking about the resurrection, obviously, Resurrection Sunday. But today and next Sunday, we're going to talk about the cross. Uh, now, you see the um, title of the message today. Some people thought I was speaking, uh, like I wasn't speaking clear when they thought I was saying the Offense, like offense and defense, but no, it's the offense of the cross. Church, do you realize that we live in an offended society? If you disagree with someone, you offend them. Not only are you to accept what they are doing, but you're also to champion what they are doing. And if you don't, they're offended. I just began to think about this for a few moments. You know, we live in what I call the trophy generation. Everybody gets a trophy. I struggle with that. Because ultimately, everybody gets a trophy because they don't want to offend anybody. So everybody gets a trophy, and instead of teaching our children how to to lose properly, we're just going to let everybody win. And everybody gets a trophy. There's no winners or losers. And what happens in that is that they begin to become entitled in this winning. And then when they're defeated in life, they don't know how to handle it. And they become, guess what? Offended. You know, I began to think a little bit further on that. Many people are afraid to speak because we live in an offended society. You can't even use a pronoun today without it being an offense. Listen, I am just now learning pronoun agreements. And now they're telling me not to speak a pronoun. Today, if you use a plastic straw, you're offending half a society. Today, if you uh, speak of a certain team in in the state of Alabama, you offend half the congregation. Church, we truly live in an offended generation. I've had somebody ask me, well, David, what's your belief on something? Only to find out that they just wanted to tell me, oh, okay, well, if that's what you believe, I'm offended. And I've come to the conclusion, like, you asked me what I believed on it. And so I share that. So now I've come to the conclusion that if I know somebody's just trying to be offended, just trying to start an argument, here's what I tell them. Well, if you want to know what I believe or what I think about that, I believe every word of the Bible. So go read it, and then you will know what I believe, and then you can come back and we'll have a discussion on it. Now, how many of them are going to go back and read all the Scripture? Church, everywhere around us, people are offended on the most littlest of things. But can I tell you that the cross, the cross is offensive to this generation, to the lost. The scripture tells us in Galatians 5.11, it says, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, when he talks about Jesus being that stone, it says that that, uh, this precious value then is for you who believe But for unbelievers, a stone which the builder rejected, this became the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble, why? This is interesting, because they are disobedient to the word. Church, you remember how I talked to you in Matthew chapter 7, and I shared with you that those who hear and obey are like a wise builder who build their house upon the rock. Those who hear and do not obey... They build their house upon the sand. 
here he says that Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, and the resurrection from the dead has become the chief cornerstone. But those who don't believe this chief cornerstone is offensive and it's a stumbling block. As I was preparing this message, I ran across a message from a very popular preacher. You may know his name. You may have heard of him. His name is Billy Graham. And in 1958, before I was even born, he had a message called The Offense of the Cross. I was like, wow, I've already got my title. I've already been preparing. If that's his, I need to go and listen and hear kind of what he's speaking And in this message in 1958, he began by saying this, that if I preach of anything other than the cross, it's popular. But when I speak on the cross, it becomes offensive. That was in 1958 church. In 2022, we only have even a stronger offense by our culture. Today we're going to look at truly the cross and what it confronts and why is it offensive to our culture. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I want you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 17. We're going to look at what Paul speaks about the cross. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the word of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Church, to the world, the cross is foolish. The word that we actually get from the Greek is moron. It says it's foolish. It's foolish to those. For it is written, verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God was well pleased in the proclamation of the cross. He's well pleased in the proclamation that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. For indeed, Jews ask for a sign and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man. And the weakness of God is stronger than man. Let me just stop there for a second. There was two things in this passage that he's already spoken about, about foolishness in our culture's view. One is the cross. God is saying here that the cross, in its foolishness to unbelievers, is wiser than they are. The proclamation of the gospel of the cross is wiser than even the the, the most wise of society. They think, oh, well, we know the best way, but yet the cross is the only way. For consider your calling, brethren, verse 26, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen and the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. But by doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts. Boast in the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, illuminate the pages this morning. Give us wisdom and guidance. And may we hear what you're speaking and walk in obedience. 
For it's in your precious and holy name. Amen. Four things I want to share with you today. Why the world is offended by the cross. The first thing is, is that the cross confronts our sin. The cross confronts our sin. Go back to verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. For those who are being saved, the cross, we recognize that there is a salvation. And what is that salvation of? It's our sin. As we talk about that sin, first in salvation, we are saved from the penalty of sin. Second, we are being saved by the power of the power of sin. And finally, we will be saved from the presence of sin. That is that salvation, sanctification, and glorification. But what we recognize is that the cross exposes that we're all sinners. The cross exposes that you and I are in need of a Savior because we are all sinners. The cross is offensive to this world because they don't want to believe that they have sinned and mainly against holy God. See, the world doesn't want to hear or believe that something's wrong in their life. They don't want to hear or believe that they're sinners. That word sin, to miss the mark. Well, what's the mark? The holiness of God. The holiness of God. They don't want to believe, the culture doesn't want to believe that they have sinned. And and worse than just sinning, it's who they have sinned against, which is holy God. What does the Bible say about this? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, we see the first sin. We see Adam and Eve told not to take of, of the fruit of the tree. And yet they went forth and took of that. And in that moment, they became spiritually dead. And they began to physically die. The fact that they would eventually physically die all because of this sin. We see in Romans chapter 5 verse 12. It says the eyes of both, or excuse me, in Romans 5 verse 12. It says, therefore just through one man sin entered the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. Why? Because all have sinned. Church, the cross tells us. That we're sinners. It's what we ultimately deserved. The whole reason Jesus went to the cross was because you and and, and me, we were sinners. It says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You say, David, specifically, how do we recognize that it confronts our sin? Well, look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, He, God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be what? Sin on our behalf. Jesus became, as it says, He who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. He took our sin upon Him. If you need even more clarification, we see in 1 Peter 2.24, And He Himself, He bore our sin In his body, where? On the cross. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you are healed. Church, the world is offended by the cross because it confronts the fact that we are all sinners. Every one of us. Starting with me. I feel as Paul spoke in in the Gospels, or not in the Gospels, excuse me, in the Epistles, he said... That, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Or as Isaiah said in chapter 6, as he uh, beheld and saw God, he said, what a, uh, Woe is me, a man of unclean lips. That is us, church. But praise God that Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. The second thing that we see first is that the cross confronts our, that we are sinners. The second thing is that the cross confronts the penalty of sin. It confronts the penalty of sin. Look at verse 23. It says, but we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Gentiles, foolishness. Church, the cross confronts the penalty of sin. What was crucifixion? 
Crucifixion was a painful, a humiliating, and a public form of execution. It was a painful, humiliating, and public form of execution. Why did the Romans crucify people? So that people walking by would see that and that it would stop them from doing something like that. For them to see that somebody was literally hanging on a cross and the only way that they could breathe was to press up on their legs to get oxygen in their lung. It was a slow, painful death. And it was humiliating. Church, the cross confronts the penalty of our sin. And the penalty of our sin is death. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is what? Death. Isaiah 53 verses 3 through 6, famous passage speaking of the suffering servant. It says Jesus, talking about Jesus, foreshadowing. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised. And we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep had gone astray. Each of us had turned to his own way. But the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Church, the cross confronts the fact that the penalty for our sin is death. Have you heard somebody say, I like to go to a church where they don't sing about the blood. That's just too gory. Have you heard people say, pastors say, you know what? I want to be very friendly to to all the people who come in. So we're not going to talk about the blood of Jesus. Church, we better be thankful For the blood of Jesus Christ. Because without it, you and I, we would have eternal punishment in hell. See, the scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. The cross confronts the penalty. The penalty is death. You and me, we deserve Death. In the Old Testament, we see this sacrificial system that God set up. But we also recognize that in this sacrificial system, that it could not fully cover the sin. See, we we recognize that just simply the the sacrifice of animals uh, could not fully cover Now, we see that first sacrificial system in Genesis chapter 3. Remember, Adam and Eve, what did they do once they had found out that they had sinned? That they realized that they had sinned. Their eyes were open. And what did they do? They covered themselves with what? Fig leaves. But God comes and he brings them what? Skins. Animal skins. The very first sacrifice was in the garden. When they were covered by skins. But let me tell you, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. Church, the cross confronts that you cannot cover yourself with fig leaves. You must cover yourself with the blood. There requires death. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1, and then we'll jump to verse 3 and 4. It tells us this, For the law, since it was only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifice which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. In verse 3, it continues on. It says, But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sin year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But praise God, Jesus went to the cross. He poured out his lifeblood for you and for me. 
And in Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 14, it speaks so clearly, but when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, praise God, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood and goats and bulls and ashers and of the heifers sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? Church, we celebrate soon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we do, we're going to have a Seder meal, the Passover. And in the very first Passover, they slayed a lamb and they put the blood over the doorpost so that the death angel would pass over. Church, do you realize the reason we're having a Seder meal coming up is because we see Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. We recognize that Jesus is the lamb that was slain. And we are called to place the blood of Jesus over the doorpost of our heart. And how do you do that? By believing and confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. We see that the cross confronts the fact that we're all sinners. We see that the cross confronts the penalty of sin. But you know, the cross also confronts our inability to save ourselves. The cross also confronts our inability to save ourselves. The culture says, I don't want to believe that I'm a sinner. The culture doesn't want to talk about the death of Jesus. And the culture sure doesn't want to accept the fact that they can't provide salvation for themselves. In verse 26 through 29 Paul says, For considering your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of this world to shame the things which are strong. And then it says in verse 29, So that no man may boast before God. God chose the foolish things of this world. God chose the weak things of this world. And he is shaming the culture, the society that thinks that they in themselves can provide salvation for themselves. Church, we must recognize that as it says here that no man may boast before God. Why? Because you and I, neither of us would be able to stand before the holiness of God if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 6, Paul speaks of this. He says that may I never boast except for in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. May I never boast except for in the cross of Jesus Christ. And before that, he's speaking of all these good works and all these different things. And he's speaking, he says, I don't boast in myself because I could not be who I am today without the power of the Holy Spirit. I would not be set free if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I don't boast in myself. I boast in the cross of Christ and Christ alone. I boast in God and God alone. Church. Our society doesn't like the fact that they can't save themselves because that requires humility. It requires humility before God and receiving a gift from God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift is what? Eternal life. It's a gift. We must receive that, but we come to a place of realization that we can't do it on our own. Church, we are desperately dependent upon God for all things. For all things. Starting with salvation. We are desperately dependent upon God for all things. Isaiah 64, 6. Our righteousness is but filthy rags. Church, we can't stand before the holiness of God without the blood of the Lamb applied to us. See, I was just reminded, I've heard somebody say this before, as I was offering a free gift to somebody 
They said, no, I don't need that. Use it on somebody who needs it. It's hard for us sometimes to receive something that's free because we feel like we're supposed to earn it. We feel like, like there's like this pride in earning that and showing that I didn't need a hand out or a hand up. But see, that's exactly what we do when we turn away from the free gift of Jesus. We say, listen, I, I'm too prideful to accept that gift. I don't need that. I can do it on my own. My good works will save me. I'm good enough. Or my religion will save me. Uh, or I'm going to be there on Sundays and, and Wednesdays every week, and I'm going to tithe, and I'm going to be in prayer. But Jesus is saying that all those things will not save you. What will save you is the blood of Jesus. We can't do it in our own power, our own strength. The cross confronts the fact that we are unable, not able to provide salvation for ourselves. And then we see one more thing that the cross confronts, many things that it confronts, but these are just the four that I'm sharing with you today. The cross confronts all other religions. All other religions. Now you may say, David, where in this passage are you getting that? And listen, this is uh, usually I'm preaching through verse by verse through a uh, book that's a very topical today as we continue on our way to resurrection. But the Lord just told me to, to, to share this with you. The cross confronts every other religion. Oftentimes people say Christians are narrow minded. How can it be the only way? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me just say that again. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. There is no other way except through Jesus. And what is that way? Through Jesus upon the cross, his lifeblood being poured out, he died, and three days later, praise God, he rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And so how do we get to the Father through Jesus? By believing and trusting in him as our Messiah, as the Christ, as the Savior, and recognizing that we are in need of a perfect lamb to take away our sins, to be justified, to be able to stand before the throne of Jesus of God. See, other religions, what other religion did their God send his only son to die on a cross for the sin of people? What other religion can you have a personal relationship with your God? What other religion does God tabernacle with his people church do we recognize that there's no other religion in this world where the savior came down the son of god stepped down and was crucified for you and for me for his people all of the religions are work-based of what you can do for your God. And for us, it's about what Jesus did for you and for me. It's about what God has done for us. The cross confronts all other religions. And at the, the point of death on the cross, what happened to the veil in the temple? It was torn from top to bottom, praise God, which gave us access. To literally speak to God the Creator. But praise God, through the death, burial, and resurrection, what happened just a few days later? But Pentecost and the tongue of fire fell down. The Holy Spirit came and dwelt within the people. Church, there's no other religion that speaks of God dwelling inside of the people. This is why I call this building the church house. Because we are the church, and I know you know that. But we're the only religion that can go around saying that we're the church, we're the temple, we're the tabernacle. He is tabernacling within us. We don't have to come into a building. Everywhere I go, God is with me. Why? Because of the cross. Because Jesus tore the veil, and the Holy Spirit now dwells within us. Church, what we're celebrating in two weeks, this is huge. This is huge. 
what Jesus did upon the cross. This is huge. No other religion can even come close to what Jesus did upon the cross. Christianity is not about what we can do for God, but what He has done for us. So many professing believers have fallen into the trap of this world and said, well, there's one God and multiple religions that lead. Can I tell you that if there is more than one way to heaven, then Jesus is a liar. If there is more than one way to heaven, Jesus is a liar. So you can't tell me that there's multiple ways and one of the ways is through a liar. You either believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, or you're believing a false gospel. People want to try to remove the offense by saying, well, well, maybe there's other ways. Maybe these other religions, you know, let me tell you, the other religions are false gospels. They're false beliefs. Because there's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. Church, I want to give you one final thought today. And this is more of a point, so it's not just one moment. But I want to go back to verse 17. We see that the cross confronts the fact that we're all sinners. We see that the cross confronts the penalty of sin. We see that the the cross confronts that we cannot save ourselves. We see that the cross confronts all other religions. Now look at verse 17, church. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Church, if you remove the cross of the offense to our culture, you remove the power of the cross. Let me just say that again. If you remove the offense of the cross when you speak it to our culture, then in that moment you are speaking a false gospel and you have removed the power of the cross. Erwin Lutzer wrote in The Church in Babylon, a good book that I've read, I mean, um, and he says in here, there's multiple ways that we remove the offense of the cross. He said one is when We tell people that good works will save them, that they can be good enough. He says in his book, one way is is that we tell people there's multiple ways to heaven. One way that we remove the offense of the cross is not to share that the wrath of God was upon the Son. That which we deserved was placed upon the Son. Church, we must be careful that we proclaim the gospel of Christ and that we do not cower down and change, as he says here, in cleverness of speech, the gospel. The gospel is offensive to the world. The gospel says there's one way, and that's through Jesus The cross says that it was by his death, burial, and resurrection that we can have life. We must not, in cleverness of speech, we must not be fearful of speaking the message of the cross. Because we recognize that it's through the cross, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that we have life. As Brother Randy shared just a few moments ago, how he was invited to come to worship. And let me tell you, he heard about the cross. He heard what Jesus did upon the cross for him, and that he rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And that if he would believe, that he would receive the free gift of eternal life. And look at what's happened in all the years since then. His life's been radically changed. Not in the cleverness of speaking or teaching or changing the offense so that we can be non-offensive, but in the bold preaching of the gospel. His life was radically changed.
There's two major takeaways here. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I understand that the message is offensive. But the scripture tells us that those who are being saved, it is the power of God. I pray that your eyes would be opened and that you would receive this free gift because praise God, he didn't just die for me. He didn't just die for the people in this room. It says in the scripture, he died for the whole world, for all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm telling you, there is no other way. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can try in all these ways to to be able to stand before the holiness of God. But let me tell you what's going to happen on that day. You're going to hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I did not know you. The scripture says that all these people, we did all these things in your name. And he says, depart from me. Because it's not about religion. It's not about good works. It's about receiving the free gift a relationship through the sacrifice and the resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't leave today without knowing Him as Lord. Even after we finish, after we have a time of an altar time, receiving or, or responding accordingly, there will be people at our no table in the back that would love to share with you how to know Christ intimately. But church, let me speak to you for a moment. Now that we recognize that the message of the cross is offensive to the world, it's not for us to cower back and change that. No, we take that message to the world because it's the only thing that will change the hearts of people. God's word will not return void. It will accomplish that which it was set out to do. How will they know if they have not heard? And how will they hear if somebody does not preach? How blessed is the feet who bring what? The good news. Church, we recognize that the message is offensive to the world. We recognize that, but we also in love and mercy and grace that's been bestowed upon us by God, we see them in need of a Savior. But let me just say this to the church. Though the message is offensive to the culture, the messenger is not called to be offensive to the culture. Nowhere in the scripture tells us to go and be rude and hateful to those who don't know Christ. Actually, we're called to speak truth in what? Love. We recognize that they're deceived. Now, we don't change the message. If you change the message at all, you have now taught a false doctrine. You have removed the power of the cross in what you are speaking. Praise God that he has showed me this in the scripture, that I know that when I come up here on a Sunday morning, I proclaim his word and I let it go forth. Some people may come up and say, David, you stepped on my toes. No, I didn't. That was the power of the Holy Spirit. All I'm doing is a messenger. And I'm going to speak it in love and gentleness to each of you. But I recognize that there's going to be times that when things are said from the Scripture, it's going to be painful because it's like sandpaper on our flesh. Because we have the flesh in us, don't we? Church, we must recognize that. And as we go and take the gospel to the world, we don't change the message. But we need to come in truth and love. And we need to speak with gentleness into their lives the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you know what happens in an offended culture? Is that most people who want to speak with gentleness and love don't speak at all. And so the only people that are heard are those that don't care what somebody, how somebody's receiving. They just, just like a bull in a china shop. And so what we need to do, church, is we need to rise up as the body of Christ and begin to speak the gospel of Jesus in truth and love 
recognizing that until their eyes are opened, it's going to be offensive to them, and they're going to come back with persecution. They're going to speak things about us like narrow-minded bigots, all these different things. But let me tell you, they're blinded by the enemy, and they're going to continue to come against us until their eyes are open. because so would you have if your eyes weren't opened. The message of the cross is offensive to our culture. But praise God, for us who believe, it is the power of God that saves us. May we be thankful for the cross. May we be thankful for the blood of Jesus. And may we go and tell the world that they are in need of a Savior.